September is Suicide Prevention Month. That's the month we're recording this in. And about a year ago from recording this one, I actually sat down with Greg Grogan, my guest for today, from the Overwatch Collective. They're a nonprofit 501c3 organization. And their mission is to normalize PTSD, suicide awareness, and mental health among first responders and military. Now, they use a podcast to do that. They raise funds to basically give therapy and introduce resources to those in need that may not be able to get them. They have an interesting approach here. They do work uh, with folks within those organizations under the veil of anonymity. And we talk a little bit about that. And we've talked about it in the past, but I wanted to have Greg in again today, again, to sort of kick off the month of September and update us on what's going on out there in the world of suicide prevention and, and mental health and awareness. He gives us some insights to how an organization like his has grown and some of the things they've used, like even technology to help that happen and help even more folks. So anyway, sit back and enjoy this episode with Greg Grogan of the Overwatch Collective. You know, the older kids taught me a lesson early in life, and that was snitches get stitches. We kids wanted things we said and did in the absence of outside eavesdropping eyes and ears to remain private and secure within our little neighborhood tribe. After all, this information was private and we were sworn to keep it secure so it didn't get exploited in the wrong hands. Nowadays, my private information has expanded beyond that little group of bike riding marauders and now sits available on all my electronic devices. And that makes me feel pretty uneasy, especially after having my phone and personal accounts hacked and taken advantage of. The reality for you and me is our laptops are never really off. Our phones hold our entire lives, including family and work, and everything from credit cards to passports contain RFID. All of this effectively makes those little items little snitches. And this makes us all vulnerable to having our digital lives stolen. It's time to put a stop to that. And this is where Silent comes in. That's S-L-N-T. Silent offers a range of sleek RFID-blocking wallets, EDC Faraday bags, travel gear, laptop sleeves, and key fob cases with the added protection of their patented Silent Pocket Faraday cage technology. This elite signal blocking technology is the easiest way to instantly enhance your peace of mind around how your mobile devices are screwing your digital life up. My personal favorites are the silent Faraday phone and laptop sleeve. They give me peace of mind by allowing me to completely disconnect from anything incoming and or outgoing, including things that can negatively impact my financial, physical, psychological, and emotional health. So if you're looking for a solution to reclaiming your personal privacy, security, and health, go check out silent.com. That's S-L-N-T.com. You can follow them at GoSilent on Instagram and Twitter. And then use the code IRONSIGHTS at checkout for an exclusive discount. I want to tell you about Bioprotein Plus. It doesn't matter who you are, guys. It doesn't matter how you train, how good you eat. It's happening to all of us. Our HGH human growth hormone, the master hormone responsible for our workout recovery, our performance, our metabolism, and even our libido, it starts to go down. So that's where Bioprotein Plus comes in. It's the first of its kind non-synthetic alternative to prescription HGH hormone treatments. So how does that work? Well, you can get all the benefits of HGH without any of the needles, side effects, or irritating or annoying doctor visits. Best part is BioPro Plus, well, it works super fast, it's easy to use, and it's 100% safe. So when I connected with the BioPro Plus guys, I asked them to send me what they wanted me to say. And that's what they wanted me to say. So here's what else you should know. If you listen to the show, then you know I'm pretty particular about what I put into my body. I understand the science behind the stuff, and having had my own experiences over the years, I wanted to find out a little bit more about it. So the BioPro Plus team sent me a 30-day supply. It's 
super easy to do. It's liquid formula for the night and the morning. I hold the stuff under my tongue for about 90 seconds, and then I go ahead and swallow it. That's it. Here's what happened right away. Quality of my sleep, better. My libido, through the roof. Recovery from my workouts was dramatically cut down, and my overall sense of well-being was markedly different. And we're talking this happened within days, not weeks. The bottom line, this is the only change I made in my diet. I didn't change my workouts and my lifestyle during this little personal experiment is exactly the same as it was. And I feel fucking amazing. All this with no needles, no prescriptions and no weird shit to worry about. Like when using exogenous hormones or anabolics. And if you know, you know, remember this stuff is completely legal and totally safe. So if you want to fix the way you perform, look and feel, Go to www.bioproteintech.com or you can follow them at bioproteintech. When you get there, make sure to use code IRONSIGHTS for $30 off your order. Welcome to Iron Sights After Dark. During my 25 plus years in the fitness industry, I've always been passionate about expanding my physical, mental, and hard skills to be prepared for whatever life might throw at me. From fitness to firearms and beyond, Taking a holistic approach to being prepared has led me on a journey to seek and share both knowledge and skills from expert resources in the civilian, LEO, military, and first responder communities. The mission of this podcast is to help others expand their capabilities and knowledge of preparedness while building strength in the community that shares similar goals and values. So ultimately, we contribute together and grow together. Greg Grogan, the Overwatch Collective, back in the house. Happy to be back. I'm, so, I'm very, very happy to have you here. It's been a while. It's been too long. And part of that has been, I think, with how busy everybody's, everybody is all the time, particularly you. I want to catch up with you. Uh, and part of the reason with the catching up is from stuff coming up. But also, uh, since the last time I had you on, if I'm being honest, like the the audience that Iron Sights has has grown tremendously. I feel very fortunate. It always fires me up to kind of look and see who kind of jumps on. And uh, I think they could benefit. Those new people could benefit. And those people that may not have heard you that have been listened to the show or maybe forgot, uh, this could be very valuable for them. And it, it guys kind of goes hand in hand with some of the stuff we're doing right now too. So I said, dude, how you been? Uh, busy. Just like you said, very busy. I think the last time we sat down was uh, September at the uh, secret spot when we talked about the suicide awareness and um, that was a big episode. I know we both got emotional during it. Everybody mm -hmm. that was behind the scenes got emotional and such a huge, huge episode and so good to get that information out there, but excited to give you an update on everything that we've been doing, our new stats, our app, the next fundraiser, all that. So I'll, I mean, that's a huge reason for having you down uh, that I have to be honest, like that particular episode We'll reference it when we put this this one up. Uh, that one was a huge one for a lot of reasons. I mean, I walked away from that. I got so much feedback. I got so many emails, so many DMs. Uh, it was a little much. I mean, there were times where I just had to kind of take a deep breath and walk away a little bit. And then for a long time after, I was getting some stuff through YouTube or whatnot. People were seeing it there as it was continuing to pop up. Uh, it was heavy. The whole mental, emotional health, suicide awareness, it... it it came up on me from having you guys on before was you and Jesse before um, even a year before, like something like that. It was close to a year before. And the way that, uh, 
it just sort of developed for me in terms of my awareness and the things were going on and then what a big problem it is. Uh, I mean, I, you hear about it all the time, but until you start really sharing the stories and talking to the people that are dealing with it on a regular basis, that, man, it was, it was rough. I mean, it took some, it took a bit out of me. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I was, I was emotionally drained after it physically drained and mentally. And that's, that's what a lot of people, they have those same emotions after like therapy sessions as well. And when you do, when we do podcasts with people and they talk about the darkest times of their lives and whether it's suicide attempts or divorces or problems with the, the first responder department or military, usually they leave and then they're like, wow, that was, I'm exhausted. The mm-hmm. only thing I want to do is go take a nap and just relax. Yeah. Uh, so that said, I mean, people can go back and listen to those, that episode and the one previously to find out a little bit more about the Overwatch Collective. But let's give them a Reader's Digest version for those people who may not know who you are, what, what the Overwatch Collective is, what you're doing. Let's sum it up and then let's get into some of the details, like the growth and what's happening now and all the new things you guys are doing and all the people you guys are helping. Yeah. So I'll give the quick elevator speech. Um, Myself and Jesse, we were both in the Marine Corps. Now we're in the Coast Guard Reserves. I've been a police officer in the Bay Area. It'll be nine years in December, which has come up quick. And um, we saw a gap amongst the entire community in regards to mental health and suicide awareness. And um, so we started just the, the podcast originally just talking about mental health awareness and everything and then turned it into a nonprofit with the intent to create a safe and confidential place for our community to reach out to for therapy, mm-hmm. get it in a timely manner, and then fund them to actually go to therapy with therapists that have been vetted through us and are culturally competent, informed, and understand what we go through as service members and first responders. So um, that's the quick rundown version. And um, shoot, I think in September, the last time we talked, we had like seven people that we sent to therapy. We only had a few contracted therapists. so. It's uh, it's grown drastically since then. Well, before you go into that, we get into that stuff. Um, a couple of things. Yeah, what are we drinking here, man? What'd you bring me? So this is, uh, it's from Pacifica Brewery okay. in Pacifica. So this is where we're just up be, the coast, just up the coast. Yeah, uh, right along the water. So we're going to be having our third annual fundraiser there. We'll talk about the fundraiser in a little bit. But the owner, uh, her name's Helen. She is Team America supports all first responders, all service members. Um, so she's absolutely amazing. And I told her, because yesterday we had to go uh, there with Kelsey to plan the event and talk yeah. about everything. We'll, so We can talk about more of that, yeah. Yeah, I told her we were coming here and she's like, here, have, have these beers, give these beers to them and try them out. So yeah, shout out to Helen. Awesome. Well, it's delicious. So thanks for uh, thanks for bringing them down. It's, it's, it's a treat. Uh so as we get into the Overwatch and some of the some of the growth that's happened, it was interesting me just listening to you talk about it and what you call the you know the little elevator elevator speech there, and how you articulated that and almost like you'd said that now ten thousand times, and which is interesting contrast to the very first time you guys were in the studio, you would literally like within that month or even maybe it was that week just completed and and finalized and formalized the 5013C or C3, whatever, however that order goes, uh, um, nonprofit, and you were just getting there. So it was all so very new at that time and you're kind of running with your hair on fire and learning a lot of lessons and whatever else to where you are now listening to you talk about it. uh, It's like, yeah, now I can tell like you're seasoned at this. You've done this a few times. Yeah, and it's it's grown dramatically and they're, 
you never know who you're going to run into in the community. And you literally have that elevator speech where it's like, hey, 20 or 30 seconds, you need to hand a card to someone and be like, hey, we need to connect, but this is what we do. So I think I've got it down to like 20 to 30 seconds, <laughs> but I have probably done it over a thousand times. Yeah. But so, so again, at that time, there was like maybe seven people had gone through therapy, really just building the network at the time, getting the word out. That's why I wanted to sit down with you at that time to help with that process, get that word out. What's happened since? Uh, a lot. So we, we added two more board members. So we have a board member specifically um, tasked out to reach out to therapists across the country and get them vetted and contracted with us. And then we have another one who does uh, fundraising and then podcast outreach. Mm-hmm. Um, so the nonprofit side of it is kind of the the meat and potatoes. And then mm-hmm. our podcast, obviously, it's recorded in a, a garage on a poker table. Still. And we hang a flag up and... <laughs> And we put some cargo netting up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and we have fun with it. And that's our entire mission with the podcast isn't to have the right. the amazing studio and spend all that money. We just want to get the message out, mm-hmm. um, the resources, share some stories and help some people, and then put um, as much of our funding towards therapy as possible. Good. So, um, yes, yeah, so we added two more board members. Now we have... Um, contracted therapists in 19 out of the 50 states. That's crazy. It's insane. It's, there's so much work that goes on behind the scenes, obviously. And it's not all me with the, the entire board of directors to thank. We've all been working collectively. Um, But yeah, so 19 therapists uh, or 19 states, we have contracted therapists. Um, We've either fully paid for or financially assisted over 475 therapy sessions. No shit. And then we spent a total of $49,000 on therapy and connected. As of now, we're at 67 people amongst the first responder, military, and uh, their family, that community. 67 people have come to us for therapy costs. So I think that's an important aspect. So let's just touch on that a little bit. I think it's an important aspect of what you do in your program. The organization is is there's very little limitation in terms of like obviously there's some right and left parameters about who who you're helping specifically who your target audience is and that's tough a lot of people out there that need help but if with all those people sometimes it, it's good to divide and conquer which is what you've done this is who we're focusing on but that it, it it outreaches to the family members as well and those that that are you know spouses kids and all that stuff. Right. So maybe talk a little bit about how that works just briefly. Like, how does, how's that process work for somebody if they need it? And and maybe I think to maybe compare and contrast for people that don't know just briefly, what are the challenges that people have, particularly first responders and getting, getting therapy? Because I think that's the thing that people, that's was the shocking thing to me. And I think that is the bigger problem for most of the folks that you're working with. Yeah. It's, uh, Definitely. If So if you're a first responder, you go through the EAP, which is the Employment Assistant Program. Um, and then some departments, you also have your peer support within that agency. Mm-hmm. The military side of it, obviously, you have the VA. Um, and the the VA kind of has a, a negative... It's not little, awesome. ...little context behind it. It's yeah, that's, awesome. that's kind of a majority of the time when you talk about the VA with vets, you hear negative stories. Yeah, it's unfortunate. I... I talk to a lot of them. And what's interesting is the more that I talk to them, the more diverse actually that, that stuff becomes though, because it seems some VAs, you know, actual facilities in different parts of the country 
do a really great job with with uh, with folks, while others are seem to be failing miserably. So yeah, and and we have some therapists that are contracted with us that work at the VA, and I'll tell you, with them, they they work their butts off and they want to do as much as possible. It's just their hands are tied. Their hands are tied. They're short staffed. Mm. And as of now, when I was coming back from overseas two weeks ago, I was at the USO in Hawaii and I was talking to the lady that was working there and she said their services for the VA are two to three months minimum wait time. So um, so you have that for the military side. You have the employment assistant program for the first uh, responder side of things. And with both of those, you're going to be going through... Um, you're going to be waiting a while with the first responder side. You go through the employment assistant program and you may only have Kaiser where you can only, your insurance only covers Kaiser, but they're not culturally competent or informed therapists. Mm-hmm. And they're just trying to get numbers. So they want to get you in and out of therapy. Mm-hmm. And then also they don't understand what we do as first responders. It's going back to the competency piece. Yeah. Exactly. And one of the big things that the first responder and military community faces is the it's the the not wanting to raise the red flag, mm-hmm. right? Because as a police officer, if I go through the employment assistant program and I trust the confidentiality aspect of it, and then that gets broken. Compromised, yeah. There's a chance that I could get my firearm taken away for a little bit or put on light duty, and then nobody wants that stigma put on them. Yeah, or worse, like you lose trust and yeah, and uh, yeah, you lose trust with your with your people on your department. Like, is this guy okay? Yeah. yeah, whether they lose trust or you just feel like you have, both are bad. Yeah. Yeah, both are bad. Yeah. yeah. So now with so, so this is the workaround. Yeah. So the workaround is um and essentially how I can been kind of explaining it is we want to create a safe in place, uh, or create a safe place for people to come to that they don't even have to go through that EAP or the VA and have potentially have a negative experience. Mm-hmm. Because in our community we're we're bred to go through boot camp or uh, police or fire academy and be unbreakable and everything has to be perfect. And you're supposed to have a straight face when you go to all these traumatic calls or experiences. You're supposed to deal with it. And and put it in your backpack or your rucksack, like we say. And um, they don't teach you the resiliency aspect. They don't give you the resources mm-hmm. before the trauma. It's always reactionary instead of proactive. So... What I'm trying to get at and what talk is getting at is creating a safe place, making it completely confidential. Um, we'll connect you to a vetted, culturally competent, informed therapist within a matter of days. And then we'll pay for your first three sessions at 100%. And then if you do need more therapy after that, we go through a tier system. So we'll pay 60% for the next five and then 50% for the next five. Wow. And that kind of... Uh, we do have the funds to be able to pay 100% for more, uh, but we voted as a board to have some sort of accountability. Oh, I love that. There um, has to be a commitment to it. Yeah. Yeah. There has to be a commitment. That financial commitment is important. Yep. Like getting it for free, it's really easy to, well, pardon my language, but fuck it off. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see that in health and fitness and training and, you know, services just in general. If you're not, if you're bartering or you're not getting it, you're not paying, it's really easy to just kind of, I'm not feeling that today. So there's also that I'd be letting my, I'd be letting this organization down who is helping me with this by doing it. So I love that. I think it's great. 
So you talked about some of the growth, like like where we where you were when we first sat down to where you are now. That's incredible. How are you doing this? How did you do that? Like how did how did the growth happen? You mentioned like running into people and networking, but there's been some organization, some strategy to this. What have you been doing? Yeah. Um, well, one of the big one was coming on with you to get the outreach and to get the message out there. And obviously we, we know the power of social media and YouTube. Yep. Um, and it's, it's crazy what that does. And just the two videos that we did that the intro one here, and then the suicide awareness one. And, um, that brings a lot of attraction. And then the, the our podcast, which has like 95 downloads with almost 11 or 95 episodes with almost 11,000 downloads. Like mm-hmm. it's not much whatsoever. Yeah, but it's, it's, um, an, it's another platform, man. It's an important one. Yeah. And, and I think we've hit an audience that had enough people on via zoom or in person to kind of have that, uh, that word of mouth. And then also people be able to listen the connection. Yeah. And then honestly, a lot of it was through Instagram and going on websites where you can find therapists and, different states and mm-hmm. reaching out to therapists and vetting them. And then, nope, that one didn't work out. Let's try this one. And mm-hmm. so, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot it's been of a grind. It's a lot of work that goes into it's it. It's been a grind. You guys have integrated a few other things though. Just like, how, you know, you, you mentioned just real briefly kind of what you're doing when you're not doing talk stuff, which is dude, you're incredibly busy. So you work for a department. I know you fulfill multiple roles there. Uh, you know, so it's like there's all kinds of adjunct duties and things that uh, that you're involved in, and uh, as well as your military service and the things you're doing with the Coast Guard. Yep. Yeah. Still, yeah. So it's like, what aren't you doing? Talk about Team America, but I, I you, you can't be there all the time to run this. this isn't like a full time business for you where you're drawing a paycheck, right? So it's also not a hobby; it's a calling. And so, in order to make it all work. I know you guys have onboarded some technology lately. It's pretty impressive. You want to talk about the app? Yeah. So we, uh, essentially we, we did an episode with a, he was a police officer just retired. And then he was also in the military and he, um, knew some of these people that had, uh, a lot of money, made a lot of money off of apps and they wanted us to be the nonprofit in the face of the app. They'll do it for the the profit side of it. And then we would do it for the nonprofit side of it. So, um, that's going really well. So, I mean, with the app, you can, it's essentially like social media. Um, you can have your own profile. You can join audio rooms where you can be completely anonymous. Um, you're on there as one of the other podcasts. So we have other podcasts that kind of are in line with what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, next will be to get other nonprofits that are in line with what we do. Um, and you could be completely anonymous through the app if you want by the click of one button. So, in our community, it is vital to have that privacy, trust in privacy. And like, hey, if I speak up and take this leap and say that I'm depressed or drinking a lot or potentially suicidal, um, that is huge for people to openly share. So um, the app's going really well. We have like 300 downloads now. Once we get to a thousand, we'll start throwing advertisements in there from like Six Hour, Glock, G Shock, all that. Makes sense. We'll start making some revenue off that. And then the, the goal with that is to profit enough money to be able to pay for five therapy sessions at 100% instead of three mm-hmm. and then start from there and try to incorporate some other stuff. And how's it all going? It's going great. Yeah. Uh, I 
like I've talked about it on our podcast all the time, not the smartest dude with technology. <laughs> and it took me probably about 60 episodes to figure out how to do a podcast. And I'm like, <laughs> cool, I got this down. And then now it's like, oh, we have an app. Yep. And it's... That adoption process can be really hard, man. We were talking about before we just started, just kind of, you know, the, the our... Uh... Our production crew, who you guys, you, you know, the A four A two media guys are not in, in the studio today, and it took a while to kind of get comfortable with, hey, how can I do this while you guys, because we're we don't live close to one another, so it's it's a trip. We have to, you know, people have to take lots of time out of their day. It's manpower and whatever else to get it done, and there's a lot of anxiety that goes into that, man. Not am I, in terms of being sure if you're doing it right in such a delicate. There's not a lot of room for error. Like you, the margin there is very, very small and you don't want to mess it up on top of all the other things you got going on in life. So, um, I get it, dude. I get it. Just reps. Yeah. It, it, it's definitely reps and it's, it's a full-time job. And like you mentioned, it's, it's not a paid job. Mm -hmm. So we have seven members on our board of directors and nobody's getting paid. Mm -hmm. Um, we just don't have the funds to be able to do that, but essentially like for our fundraiser coming up and then with the app, Ever since I got home from this deployment, I've been pretty much spending my entire day focused around talk and everything. So there's um, there's definitely a lot more time, I would say, than being a, a normal police officer involved in talk, which is all voluntary and not getting paid. Right. But I see like the bigger picture and kind of what I want to do with talk than being a first responder still, if that makes sense. Oh, totally, man. So, yeah, I get it. That's a tug of war for sure. Talk talk about that real quick. Let's talk about like the you know your life as a police officer and kind of what that looks like for you. Also, the military service and the latest appointment. Well, why don't we start there? Actually, the latest appointment. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So I, uh, it's totally low key. It's not like any secret squirrel stuff yeah. or anything. I don't do any of that. Um, so with the Coast Guard, we participated in Talisman Saber, uh, twenty twenty three, which is a joint exercise with the Australian military, and then also other countries. There was. Um, uh, Japan was there and there were a bunch of different militaries that we were kind of working with together. Um, and essentially what it is, it's, it's done every two years to strengthen our relationships so that if things go south with China, we're able to work together and build those relationships. In that region. Yeah. So now the, the Coast Guard's going to put a, a, a cutter and a duty station out in Australia, which is a big, that's cool. A big, uh, big move. So yeah, we were out there for, uh, two months doing that, that kind of training. Right on. So, and then come right back to being a cop. Yeah. So, um, thankfully I, I had enough, enough leave days built up. So when I got back stateside, I did you my demobilization process, which was, uh, two days. And then I had, uh, seven and a half days of leave. So technically my, today's my last day of leave. And then Tomorrow, I picked up an overtime shift at work to go <laughs> to go back to work and make some extra make, money. Make some money. Yeah. yeah. That's the upsides and the downsides. It's exactly. Like Double-edged sword. Yep. Uh, all while trying to plan for this, for the fundraiser, the third annual, third, yeah. third annual fundraiser that's coming up. Let's talk about that and kind of the what and why behind that. Like, So, I mean, you already talked about talk, so it kind of makes sense. Like, this is nonprofit. We've got to raise funds. We're providing, we're providing funds for people to get this, this stuff, but, or this, this, this help, this therapy. Talk about, talk about the evolution of the, of the fundraiser and the importance and, you know, how it all works and, and what, what you're most excited about maybe this, this year. Um, honestly, right now it, so it, it's kind of me and Kelsey doing a lot of the planning and she's our, our secretary and event planner. And we, 
we're so busy. We look at each other and we're like, God, we're just so excited for it to be done so we can kind of take a deep breath. I hear relax. this all the time from folks, man, that plan <laughs> <Yeah>. events. <laughs> You're like, okay, I'm ready for it to be September 24th and kind of just put this aside. But uh, no, all, all joking aside, it's we we don't have enough time or the funds to hire a grant writer or get into doing grants to be able to get money towards the nonprofit to be able to fund us. Um, so essentially we're we're getting all of our money from donations, sponsorships for the fundraiser, uh, merchandise sales, anything that we can kind of get is what's paying for these three therapy sessions paid for at $175 an hour. Um, So with that, we're kind of making all of our money from the fundraisers. I'd say a majority of it. So um, last year, I know UCC and Rue came. Um, We'll be there again. Which was an awesome time. Mm -hmm. We had... uh, 240 people there. We raised $65,935, built so many connections, had a lot of fun. And it was, I think it was a great event. Oh man, I had a great time. I mean, it was, this is, these were my takeaways. First, uh, first off, it was a great time. It was a great party, right? If, if I look at it that way and and the things that made it great were the environment. We were, you know, on the coast where it was outside, it was gorgeous weather, uh, so you know, it was just sort of a really great setting and I'm looking forward to this year setting the new setting at the, at the, the brewery we were just talking about. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and what that has to offer. So I think that's always good when you, when you have a cool setting that you can bring people into, it's like, sometimes I've been to like a lot of weddings as an example, and some of them have just been like, this sucks, you know, it's hot or it's just a terrible, you know, venue or whatever. Um, and the food sucks and you know, whatever. Yeah. And, and, and it's just not fun. This I, this is fun. This is an event like you don't want to miss from that perspective. But the the bigger thing was the people, and who you who you meet and who you get to interact with, and the stories um, that people will tell you about how they got connected with with talk, and or anybody else that was there. That was really touching, actually, for me to to walk around. Everybody's super friendly and just wanted to get to know everybody because a nonprofit really is a community. And it has to be, you know, the village working together to get it done. So I, the, the impression I got was that all these people were there trying to do that. You know, yeah. like, how can I, who are you? How can we leverage this relationship to, uh, to improve or make better what the, what the, this whole event is about? That was, that was pretty cool. Um, a little overwhelming at times, if I'm being honest, like there was just, there's a lot of energy. Yeah. Uh, a lot of energy because everybody there is closely connected to the, Obviously, the concept of most emotional, mental, psychological care, but also the suicide component that comes along with that when there's been a miss or a gap or somebody has died by suicide through that, through that, through that, whatever process they were going through. So it's kind of this mix of a mix of emotions. And I think anybody that's going to this needs to be ready for that. But at the same time, it's super rewarding because it really brings you back down to to earth, if it, you will. It, it really does. And I know we, we were running around with our heads cut off like the entire time. And I, I didn't realize it was going to be like that for us. Um, I know I told a bunch of people, I'm like, hey, we'll have time to catch up and no, talk you won't. about. No, like, you won't. no, we were running I never around. expected that, by the way. So <laughs> yeah, we, we were running around the entire time. But um, yeah, so it, it was a really good turnout. And I every single person there was a supporter of the first responder community the military community and some of them were spouses and significant others that came as well and other companies and other nonprofits. Right. And 
they all came for the common goal of raising funds and getting education about mental health awareness in our community and um, and being a part of that change to kind of normalize it and reduce the stigma. So um, it's such a great group of people, the community that we have, because you're all the the brothers and sisters essentially taking care of each other. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty special. And it's not an easy thing to do to build a tribe like that, you know, within a, a within a larger tribe. And so yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. There's some other great parts about it. I mean, if you go, you have the opportunity to enter into a bunch of raffles, which obviously the pr- proceeds of those go into go into it's the fundraising piece of it. I mean, people were walking away with some pretty crazy shit, man. Uh I mean, it was that was wild. Like I, I didn't expect that. I mean, I knew there was a lot of cool stuff happening. You guys have done a good job at promoting it, but uh, I mean, people walking away with some really cool items. And what I mean by that is like high, high value items, which speaks to uh, the, I think the, I guess the connection that those people that are donating those items, you know, feel to the cause, which uh, I thought was really, really cool. It was just like, what? This raffle ticket cost me a dollar or $10 or whatever, depending on what it was. And I could get that. Like, that's wild, you know? And people were, people were walking with some really cool gifts, still talking about them. So that was, that, that's a fun part too, but also it's a huge part of why, why, why folks are there. So like, I'm just going to put it out there now. You don't have to do it. I'll save, get a ticket to the fundraiser, right? Go and then bring your money. And buy some fucking raffle tickets, yeah, and and contribute beyond that because uh, there's some you could win some cool shit and all. Every penny goes to the goes to the cause. Yeah, yeah. and it's uh, and so we'll have I have all the numbers memorized because we've been working on it nonstop. So we have 33 raffle items, including yours. So you're donating the cool. uh, the package to come to Red Dot mm-hmm. Fitness, mm-hmm. Uh, which you did last year as well, and we appreciate it. Yep. Um, so we have 33 raffle items. Um, we have med kits, hardhead veterans donated to bump helmets. Um, we have a bunch of cool raffle stuff. And then our auction, uh, Jack Carr, Navy SEAL retired. Uh, oh, he came to the table again, did he? So he donated his book series, signed again. Wow, that's um, cool. Which is really cool. And we've been talking to him a little bit more, which is awesome to see. Um, we have some huge auction items. We have, obviously, we have another firearm in the auction and then the the special raffle tickets, um, Staccato's donating another 2011 Staccato P-Duo. I'm all, I'm all over it. I still remember being mad at the guy that won it yeah. last time because it wasn't me. <laughs> he bought one ticket. He better not show up this year. <laughs> uh, he's, he's coming. He already got his ticket. Damn it. Um, yeah, he, he loves that thing. So they're donating another Staccato, yeah. which we'll raise. Last year, we raised $6,000 off that. Um, Incredible. Stag Arms is donating a 308 16-inch uh, black nitrate. Uh, uh, it's a 308 rifle. I don't know the exact specs on it, yeah. but it's MSRP at $2,300. Um, so we have that. We have a Yeti cooler, a 65-inch TV, um, and then something else. I'm blanking on the, the yeah. fifth one, but there's some some really cool stuff that you can get. Um, and then we have the, the live cigar rolling station that'll be rolled right in front of you with our logo on it. You could take some home. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we'll have some of our sponsors that are sponsoring the fundraiser. Yep. They'll have a booth there. We'll have service dogs there. So it's going to be a good time. Man, I, you know, again, like the whole point of this thing is to support the things that you're, you guys are doing. I wonder if we could just maybe, are the things you can talk about just some of the incredible stories maybe that have happened in this last year 
doesn't really spend that long. It's been almost exactly a year since we sat down last time and since the last fundraiser, you know, specifically. And this will come out a couple of weeks before the fundraiser. Um, but um, yeah, can you talk about sort of the work, the actual work that's being done? I mean, you talked about some of the stats and those are numbers. And certainly if you're running a business or you're running a nonprofit, you're sitting on a board, those things are important. Yeah. But what's behind that stuff, man? Can you talk about that? Uh, yeah, a, a, a lot of work and a lot of trust with the community reaching out to us because so essentially kind of how the process works. If someone does want to reach out to work with one of our contracted therapists and then either receive financial assistance or not, um, they have to go to our website. They have to go to the financial assistance tab mm -hmm. and then they have to fill out a one to two page explanation. So we've had people explain like, kind of like a one to two paragraph thing, kind of like, kind of brief, like, hey, the, my name's Scott. I've been a police officer this long. I can't really afford it. I'm trying to work with mm -hmm. Destiny, for example. Yep. Um, and then we've also had a lot of those explanations that come in that the first line is, I'm sitting here staring at my screen and this is the hardest thing I've ever yeah, done. Yeah, man. Can't imagine. And they'll start out with that and then they'll submit the full two pages and they get into the the traumas, the the reasons why they're going, finally taking this step to get therapy. And and you can tell that people put a lot of time and effort into thinking about what to type just to be looked at and voted on if we will say yes to mm -hmm. basically accepting you to pay for you to go to therapy. Um, so whenever we get the request that comes in, we have a therapy group chat. There's four of us on that group chat. And Kelsey's the secretary for the nonprofit. And so she sends it out. Um, we all read it. And then we vote on the person going to therapy. We have never denied anybody. Mm. Um, and essentially, we work with them to connect them to a therapist. And then once they sign our waiver that says, all we're doing is connecting you to a, our, one of our contracted therapists and paying for you to go, we're not liable for X, Y, Z. Right, right, right. Um, then they're they're off to the races with the therapist. And then the only thing that we get from the therapist is the, is bill. the bill. And then if they need to go and see somebody them again else. or somebody else, or somebody else, we get a request of continuation mm -hmm. for the next tier, the next five sessions, or can you please connect this person with someone else or whatever the case may be. So is there anybody else doing this out there, man? I mean, or is anybody kind of caught on to this or is recognizing like this is a fucking thing, man. And like, you said whatever it was, how many people, how many therapy sessions now? 475. Yeah. Which is awesome. Yeah. But at the same time, not nearly enough. Yep. Not nearly enough. So, I mean, there's such a need. Do you, do you see anybody else out there kind of catching on and maybe trying to do this stuff or have you had interactions with anybody, uh, with, through, through uh, TOC that maybe had an interaction with somebody else and has it been, I mean, what can you say? Is there a compare and contrast? Is this happening out there? What What can you talk about? Yeah, I mean, I literally on my way down here, like, as you know, we're both super busy. Yeah, yeah, I had yeah, a I had a call with a, a marriage and family therapist. So she's got to go through that 3,000 hours to become a licensed yep. marriage and family therapist. Um, and she reached out to us and was like, hey, like in the future, I'd like to work with your organization. It seems like you're doing great things. And then um, I would like to donate and my company will match. And I was like, cool, let's hop on the phone for 30, 45 minutes. I'll tell you about it. So kind of everything that we've just talked about 
told her. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was like, you're, you're filling this gap. This is so needed. And then I did a podcast this morning with a gentleman out in Florida with Project Rebirth. And same thing, fill in the gap. This is what is needed. Um, but no one really doing the, the same kind of thing. Um, and it's, if nonprofits are kind of doing something similar, um, they're not paying for them to go. They're just connecting they're them. Connecting them. Um, and then we also have the, the podcast aspect as well. So, right. but. Yeah, I just, again, I just look at it and I, with all the, again, my experience, which is very limited compared to, to yours and whatnot. I, there's just such a huge gap, huge, huge need. And, you know, I wonder if like you're talking to the people like in terms of who, who who's listening here, what do you, what do you want them to know about that gap? I mean, you talked a little bit about the stigma that exists, particularly sort of in the first responder world. I think people can sort of wrap their heads around it. Uh, but, and I also hear quite frequently that folks in that world feel like that is going away a little bit, at least a little bit. But these may also be people that haven't actually gotten to a point where they felt like they needed to reach out for help or maybe they have and they're just afraid to do it. So maybe that's, they're, they're, uh, they're putting a little, little sugar on that. You know, I, I don't really know. But I think in general, like what you're, what you're hearing is like the stigma is going away. We just need more people to be asking for help. And for all of those people that are, you just go back to kind of the VA thing. Let's not, do they have to wait six months to get in to see somebody? And then when they do, is the answer medication every time? I mean, so I just kind of said a few things there. I mean, what do you want people that are kind of hearing this for the first time or are not fully, you don't think are fully aware? What's the biggest miss? Like what are, why aren't we doing a better job with this? Yeah, I, I think it's like a lot of people say there's not enough resources out there, but also it's on the individual to be resourceful and look for those resources. Uh, that's an important point, man. That's a very solid point. Yeah. Um, and I was talking about that with the guests on our podcast this morning and and there are a lot of resources out there. Um, you just kind of have to go searching for them a little bit. Mm. But my intent with the Overwatch Collective is to get everywhere. <laughs> I want to get all over the country and I want to work with other nonprofits to make that happen. Um, so that if a first responder or service member ever feels the need or like, Hey, you know what? Like I'm starting to go down the roller coaster. They don't need to raise the the red flag and go through their chain of command and reach out for help or peer support or their EAP where they, they may be judged or their career may be affected. The goal is to have them come to us, download our app. So they have a resource. Everybody has their phone with them at all times. You can literally get help by doing a few taps and we'll reach out to you right away. So um, every single first responder and service member, I would say pretty confidently, knows someone that has died by suicide, unfortunately. Um, And the whole motto is one more is one less. So one more person we can help is one less potential suicide. Um, But we, we need to reduce the stigma and normalize it. And I think it is getting a little bit better Um, and it's getting normalized, but what frustrates me is that we're still seeing all these suicides. So we're at 60 reported police officer suicides for this year, which is more than double the killed in the line of duty for police officers. So there's still a gap there. Obviously the numbers don't lie. And those are only the reported ones I say, because 
if you die by suicide off duty, your family doesn't get all the benefits and the pay. So a lot of first responders will die by suicide on duty. So then their family gets the better, the the benefits. And that goes back to the the selflessness, the selflessness of our community because we're supposed to take care of everybody else. And we put ourselves second. So I think what I just heard you say is you're more likely to die by suicide as a first responder than you are on the streets in the line of duty. Is that right? Um, right now, or, or, I guess. Or, or be affected by some sort of call that could be triggering you and, um, and sticking with you that's kind of weighing you down. Um, you're exposed to that week number one as a, a firefighter, dispatcher, coroner, anything, you name it. And then same thing being in the military. Even if you're not combat or been to Iraq or Afghanistan, like there's still a lot that goes on there that we have not discussed or we haven't opened mm-hmm. up to. And I know last time when we talked, we talked a lot about comparing your trauma to others. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that we see a lot. So what we're trying to do is create this place where you can come to this nonprofit, people that understand because it, the entire board of directors is first responders, vets, family members or spouses of first responders and veterans. We know the community. We know what you go through on a daily mm-hmm. basis. We know what your family members go through and we have the resources to help you. The, so for the, the first responder that's out there, um, and the things that you've learned maybe in the last year specific to getting to that place where you, you ask for help, what advice do you have for them? You know, just, well, first off, let me, let me back up a little bit actually, because you were talking about something there just with the thoughts and the ideas and the roller coaster, I think is the way you described it. And you put all these things in your backpack or your rucksack and it's weighing you down. It's about to blow open and there's nothing you can, you don't, you feel hopeless or helpless at this point. I think one of the things I, I kind of learned was just because you have suicidal thoughts, maybe doesn't necessarily mean you're suicidal. And that might be a tough thing for, I'm not a therapist, but I don't work in the world, but that might, at first that was a little bit tough for me to understand. But at the same time, like that goes back to the, like you, you're having some weird feelings. Like to you, they feel weird, right? They feel like, I don't know if I, but at the same time, you know, they're not good. I should not be feeling these things. And what you said was, you want to create a, a space for people to maybe ask for help or reach out for help, but doesn't raise the red flag. And right now the red flag is this in some cases, like if somebody like a therapist decides, you know, like, again, if you go through the, your um, EAP program, a therapist decides whether you're suicidal or not. No, you asked me on a checklist form, like, have I had thoughts of suicide? Just because I checked yes doesn't necessarily mean I'm suicidal, but I have. Um, I think that's something that's kind of missing, right? I think still people are, obviously, that's a that's a very slippery slope both ways. Like, I don't, and I also don't want to discount that, that, oh, dude, okay, so the guy thought about killing himself, but, you know, that's not that big a deal. I'm not saying that. Yeah. I'm not saying that at all. But what have you learned in terms of how to, maybe for, for advi- from an advice perspective, in terms of how to talk to folks out there that have had these thoughts and they know they're not, they're, they're not, they're not good thoughts. And that, that bothers them in and of itself. But what bothers them more is if I even, even for a second, expose this to my spouse, my patrol buddy, 
my the, one of the guys at the firehouse or whatever else, this could spell disaster for me at a million different levels. Can you talk to that? Yeah, and I, I think that's one of the reasons why we we see so many first responders and service members these days that that have those exact thoughts for years and years and years. And throughout that time of not getting any... Left unaddressed. Exactly. And not getting any help with therapists, not performing EMDR, mm-hmm. um, not taking care of your the mental side of things, right? So we, you all have a, a physical fitness test. You have to stay in shape. Right. But what we're not doing annually is checking in on your brain and how you're feeling with the calls and if you need anything. Um, and I think one of the big aspects is a lot of people in our community do not understand what therapy looks like. I don't think it's a very common thing for our community to understand that you can tell your therapist that you have suicidal ideations and that's not going to raise the red flag. What the therapist needs is suicidal ideations with a plan attached to that and intent. Mm-hmm. Then unfortunately the red flag gets raised and that's at that point, it's like a cry for help. It's almost much like law enforcement when you think about it. Like you have to go down this path. Like you can't just arrest somebody for yeah. thinking about committing a crime. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So for for those in the community that are struggling, that know that they should be reaching out or probably be like, hey, I remember listening to this podcast and be like, hey, just reach out for help and and then pushing off to the side. And then a few months later, be like, hey, you know, I really should. like. You, you need to talk to someone that you trust that can be kept confidential. And that may be difficult to do. Um, or you can come to our website and we have our buddy program. So I think that's another great resource for the community um, to understand. So, so through our website and our buddy program, we have over 30 people that have a photo, email address, and their bio attached. Mm-hmm. And they have volunteered to come on as a buddy and you can reach out to them whenever and talk to them about whatever. Um, and you can find, if you're a firefighter and you want to find a firefighter, you scroll down until you see uh, the... Pernay. Pernay's yeah. on there. And yeah. then you find the the other one, Steve, with the captain firefighter hat who talks right. about how he was an alcoholic and recovered from it. Mm-hmm. And you can reach out to him directly and completely confidential between you. So... Um, I think that's one of the things that can help. And then finding a person to talk to that you can trust and maybe trying all of those resources before going to your your supervisor or your chain of command. Because the last thing that we want in our community is for the word to get out that you're going through a tough time because mm-hmm. we're all supposed to be these strong, robots people. And, robots. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, what are your thoughts on like not going to another cop about this? Like not necessarily, again, within the team that you work with and the network you guys have put together, but like if you're a cop or you're a firefighter, like what are your thoughts? Like you're obviously going to have very strong relationships and you have very strong trust within with the people that you're working with on a daily basis and fighting fires or handling horrible calls as dispatchers or whatever and sitting at the desk next to one another or obviously even riding in a patrol car showing up on, on different scenes and dealing with different incidents together. What are your thoughts on going outside of that circle and encouraging people to do that? And, and I, this is coming from a place where lately I've been hearing several cops for that matter go, hey, go hang out with people that aren't cops, right? Like 
spend some time around people that aren't doing cop stuff all the time. Because if you hang out with those people, that's all you're going to talk about. And is that helpful for you? I don't know what, I don't know what your thoughts are. I mean, you don't have a lot of time, free time anyway, man. So (laughs) you're kind of forced into situations. And I feel like maybe that is the case for a lot of these, these folks too, is with the shift work and trying to balance the family and whatever. There really isn't a lot of social time or whatever. Uh, so they wind up, their social time is partly work time or, and which also bleeds into workout time and that kind of stuff. I mean, I don't know. What do you have to say about that? Yeah. And I, I think I've, I've heard a lot of the podcasts with a lot of police officers where they say you kind of, you end up hanging out with police officers because you get each other and you have the same beliefs. And after your shift, you go to choir practice and you go have a few drinks in the parking lot and you go home. And if you live close to each other, you're always hanging out. We always see it. Um, but it is so important to have a friend group and a support system outside of it. The challenging part with reaching out to those people that may sit behind a desk eight to five and you go and explain, they can't relate. Um, they can't relate. And that's kind of like going through the EAP and seeing a therapist. Yeah. You were mentioning like the, right. Again, I have my own issues. So I'm saying it, you're not saying this, like the whole, the, the mental health program at Kaiser. I've had personal experience with and it was, was not awesome. It was not very good. And I think there was a huge disconnect there. And I've heard too many stories from first responders that have gone there and telling a story and having, literally having the jaw hit the chest and the therapist across the room going, well, I didn't see that shit coming. They didn't teach me this shit in school. Yeah. You know, like, what am I supposed to do? And that guy looking back across going, well, maybe I am that fucked up. Yep. Like, this person just confirmed how fucked up my life is and how fucked up my problems really are. Uh, so that, again, that goes back to, yeah, I guess if you're going out to the outside circle, like, are you going to get that response, you know, from them? Can they really relate? That's tough. So tough, man. Yeah. And that's, that's why it's, it's so important for us to get someone in our community connected through us. So it's a culturally competent or informed therapist so that when you finally take that big step and reach out for help, we can almost guarantee you that you're going to have a good experience. Whereas if you go outside, you're, you're kind of on your own. And then imagine going through months and months of struggles and maybe your relationship isn't going well and work isn't going that well. And you finally take that step and you go see a therapist and you reach out for help. And then just like you said, it's the draw drop, the eyes open up, like that's what you see. Um, there's like an 80% chance that that person's never, never going to go to therapy back. again. You just ruined their, ruined so you have your first, your first interaction with a therapist is huge because if you have a good interaction and you get along with your therapist and you, you have a good connection, you're more inclined to go more and more where you can actually work on your shit. So I've been through the process before, not as a first responder, but I've been through therapy before at different points in my life for different things. It was some, some points, it was all hugely valuable. Um, I have no, no problem saying it, just kind of being transparent about it. They were all hugely valuable, but they were not all good experiences. Um, and I think some of the things people should understand if they've never gone through therapy or have a misunderstanding about what it is you were talking about, like what is therapy? I think it means different things to different people depending on their situation where they are in life and obviously their goals. So that's, it's, you could relate that to a lot of different things. I think, you know, kind of parallel, but part of the process for me, quite frankly, was, and I'll just say it like this, is that you're kind of shopping for a therapist because if you go, if you're in a silo or some type of an institution insurance 
um, <clears throat> excuse me, an apartment that, <clears throat> pardon me, that assigns you, you know, this is where you go. You don't really have a choice. You just, you, you just go. Right. And you, you, what's my alternative? Like, okay, this didn't really work out. I'm not vibing. Like this is, and it's not like this person's again, eyes open, jaw hits chest, anything else. It's like, I'm not feeling it. And if you're not feeling it, therapy's probably, the whole process is not going to go well. And I think that's the value that you guys provide is like, look, we at least have vetted this person out and they have, they, they, maybe this is a good question, I guess. What are the traits? What are the things, the characteristics that you're looking for that makes somebody culturally competent um, and qualified in order to be on that team? What are the things that you're looking for? What can you explain to us? Yeah. So the, the and this is kind of new to me as well. And obviously I'm still progressing. I'm not sitting here saying I know everything about the, the therapist and the neurological... Tony Ryan and the coaches. I don't know everything. So I'm still learning new stuff, which is great. A few months ago, I learned culturally competent or informed. Mm -hmm. So we've been saying that a lot now and hearing more about it. And the the culturally competent is the prior police officer who turned into a licensed licensed marriage and family therapist. Mm -hmm. That's the competent. Like he or she was a first responder, was a vet. The culturally informed is the the Destiny Morris, mm-hmm. who was our first contracted therapist and has seen a majority of our clients, who is absolutely amazing. Um, she is a culturally informed therapist because she was in a relationship with a firefighter and her dad was a, in law enforcement. Got it. So that's kind of the difference between that. Got it. So when you're going through this process of vetting people out, it's you're trying to assess where their connection points are. And I would imagine if people are reaching out to you, then they probably have some connection to it already, no? Yeah. And a lot of people will reach out and it'll be... Like these are professionals. I mean, professional reaching out to you. Correct. Yeah. And it'll um, it'll come from our website submissions where it'll be like, hey, this this doctor works in San Diego with a lot of a, a lot of Marines in Camp Pendleton. She's looking to, Got it. to, to work with you. That just happened two weeks ago. Um, or the Instagram, like, the lady who I had a phone call with on the way here is, hey, my my husband works for Cal Fire. I'm getting into it. I'd love to work with you. And then usually it's a like you're preparing for a podcast for the first time. It's a 30 to 45 minute conversation. Mm-hmm. We're telling them about talk in the process. They're telling us a bio about them. Um, and basically for the informed part, if one of their family members is a first responder or service member and they have a good grasp of what we deal with, um, then it, that, that one's kind of simple. And then also for the culturally competent, like if you were a prior United States Marine and now you're in San Diego, which we have two of those, that's pretty easy to be like, okay, cool. You're vetted. You you said Semper Fidelis. I know that you're a Marine, you know? Um, so that's kind of how that process goes. There are some where it's a little bit more difficult and we'll ask for some certs to verify. Um, but can tell you as a board of directors that's comprised of first responders and vets. And you can tell <laughs> got, right away. You got a pretty good nose. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. you can essentially tell right away who's going to be a good fit. And I always ask myself, would I want to work with this person? Right. So. Yeah. I think that's a great way to answer. I mean, that's what I would want to look for, like in a coach here, like there would be a similar yeah. process and, yeah. you know, you got to fit that there's got to be good chemistry and all of those kind of things. Uh, 
you know, we've been talking specifically about the first responder. We did mention the families and things like that and, and their integration into this whole program. So let's talk about like the family uh, integration from the TOC perspective. Like, and what I mean by that is like, um, like the support network that you have and how that works. Uh, like these are not cops. These are not firefighters. These are maybe husbands, wives of firefighters, kids, whatever. And then the other side of it obviously is the family members that, cause we're not talking about family members getting therapy right now. Like we're, we're just, we're, we're talking about the firefighter, the cop, the, 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 the ex-service member or current service member or whatever else. So can you talk about that dynamic, how that works? Yeah. So it's, um, so basically if a spouse or significant other reaches out, they just, for therapy, they usually say, hey, I'm spouse or significant other to a, like a, a lot of the ones, and I'll use Destiny, for example, a lot of the spouses and significant others that she sees are wildland firefighter spouses. Got it. It's just a big, um, a big need for that right now. And they also don't make much money whatsoever for the work that they do. So they're gone for very long periods yeah, of time. Yep. Yeah. So shout out to them. But um, we do have coaches and therapists that work with um, everybody and not just first responders and service members. So for example, Destiny, she was on here. She hosts her first responder uh, partner therapy group and she's doing it twice this year. And she has spots for usually it's around eight to 10 people, I believe. And it's 11 sessions, the first one being an intake sessions, and then it's once a week and it's via Zoom. It's virtual. Um, with that, we pay 50% of the cost if the person reaches out for financial assistance. So um, we have that resource in addition to some of our other therapists that will work with mm -hmm. the spouses and significant others. And then we also have the buddy program mm -hmm. where we have people who are waiting for you to reach out to them. Um, these are not necessarily therapists. These could, could be like... Yeah, yeah, so for example, my mom's on there. Yeah. My mom's on there as talk a resource. About, talk, talk about her experience, <laughs> She's man. been through a lot. Let's talk about it. Uh, yeah, she's a fucking saint. Excuse my language. No, but, so I was talking about the people that I met at the fundraiser and whatever. Yeah. such an honor. I met their parents, man. Yeah. I mean, I hung out with... I hung out with with your dad and Jesse's dad in the parking lot for probably an hour before the event. And yeah. then during, we got to chat and then the moms came over and... What a fucking amazing group of people. You guys are fucking lucky. You guys yeah, got amazing no, parents. But that said, lucky. like mom who, and and I'd heard a little bit about this before, but and I heard your version of it and then I heard her version of it. By the way, she's way fucking tougher than you do. Oh, she is 100%. She's way tougher yeah, than you. And I, I give it to her hands down. So yeah. um, she and my dad have been together for over 40 years and mm -hmm. married and he's been a police officer for 40 plus years. Wow. And to this day is still, I don't know why, but picking up overtime shifts for patrol and details. Um, and then he was also in the military reserves, uh, started out in the Coast Guard and then went army and has deployed to Iraq and Afghanistan and did all that and was gone for like 14, 16 months, was gone for a year, um, stateside on active duty orders, leaving obviously her behind with myself and my brother to raise. Um, and then if that wasn't enough, my brother became a firefighter. I joined the Marine Corps and then I became a cop two years later. So it's kind of all that she knows. Right. Um, and she's been through a lot, but she understands what it takes from a spouse or significant other to be a, uh, a wife or of a police officer, a service member that's going to be gone. Um, the mother of two first responders. So she's on there as a resource. And we have 
several other people who are resources on there where you can reach out to them and be like, hey, you know, like my husband's been gone a lot, working overtime, seeing more stuff. He comes home and I've been seeing these types of changes in his mood. Like, have you been through this? And that's mm-hmm. completely confidential between them. Um, and then um, Wives on Fire podcast, they're on our app as well, in addition to you. And they're two wives of firefighters up in Oregon. And they started a podcast just talking about when when the firefighters are gone, how everything in the house breaks and they have to deal with stuff, how mm. they learn about them having post-traumatic stress following these calls for service. And like, there was no like introduction for them when they started dating. There's, like, no, there's no handbook on this shit. Yeah. Like, hey, you're you're starting to date a first responder or a service member. Hey, this here's a brochure. This is what you're signing this up for. This is what that means. There's yeah. there's none of that. It doesn't so, come it doesn't come that way for the wildland firefighter either, by the way. No. Yeah, no. Yeah, there's no book for that. Yeah. I mean, there are books that have been written. In fact, I have one up on my shelf right now um, with regard to that, but that was given to me by a buddy, Chris Howe, who's up in uh, one of the local de- departments here. So it's awesome. It's about, um, you know, what they didn't tell you, <laughs> what they didn't tell you and what to expect and that he gives it to all the guys that come direct out of the academy. He says, here's all the things they didn't teach you and he hands them a book. But there's no playbook to all of this stuff. No. So... Yeah, so moms, coming back to moms, you know, she's she's a grizzled, salty veteran when it comes to all this stuff. So she's that one of those types of people that if you fit into any of those things or you're looking for like a different perspective, like she could be she could be part of that. And I, I wanted to highlight that, not necessarily your mom, but um however great I think she is. Um <laughs> just that those type of people are part of the part of the network so yep. that they can they can have these different types of conversations. And I think you already highlighted kind of like what, how you guys work with the family members and how that goes in and that, that whole process. Um, what are the things that you're most excited about? Like with, with TOC right now and kind of what's happening? Uh, I think it's just to see the, the numbers and the, the work that we're putting into it. Granted, it's like we talked about super busy. It's essentially more work than being a police officer nowadays. And it's obviously my free time is going to talk and all this, but it's, you you get into, I'll say law enforcement specifically, because that's what I got into to help people. That's kind of the common theme, right? You're like, oh, I want to help the community. I want to do good. And after doing that for as long as I've been doing it, it it kind of gets to the point where you're like, okay, like, am I really making a difference? Yeah. You know, like the the current state with law enforcement, it, it's it's really difficult just in that sense with your own mental health going to work every day on top of seeing all these traumas. Um so for me, it is so rewarding to kind of almost phase out of that, like, hey, I'm really making a difference in the community that I work and like the bigger picture and all that and be a part of something bigger than myself where transition out of that into talk where now I'm seeing the direct impact in my own community and my fellow coworkers and the stuff that we're doing is benefiting them and seeing them where all the talk gear and like, Hey, we support this and being able to see these stories that come in of first responders and service members and being like, Hey, I appreciate what you're doing. You're helping this community. It's, it's needed. I've lost X amount of people to suicide, like whatever you guys need. Um, so that's kind of where I think my life I would like to go is to slowly transition to doing this potentially full time where I can really see those numbers increase in people that we've helped and mm-hmm. start to get people from not even trying to go through the employment assistant program to come in straight to us. And we'll have them see a therapist like that 
that's culturally competent, informed, and will pay for the, hopefully at that point, we're at like the first seven sessions we'll pay for. Um, so that's, that's kind of my goal, my big picture, but um, it's just, it's really rewarding to know the community firsthand and how hard it is to reach out for help and the shit that you see and the stuff that we don't even really hear about or get training on now to be able to educate that my own community. Essentially. Right. That's so, awesome. That's exciting. I'm excited for you. I mean, it's like I said at the beginning, when you kind of just explained it with the elevator speech piece, how far it's come since the very first time we sat down and how confident you are, but also the controlled enthusiasm too. Like before, I think it was just, like, I don't know where this thing is going, but this is what we're trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you know? we didn't really have a plan at that totally. time. Totally. I, man, I'd, yeah, I and mean, people we were, can go back and listen. Like yeah. that they would be, I think they'll be floored, uh, the then to now. Um, but just in kind of wrapping up here and finishing this thing up, tell people how to find out more about talk and let's then tell them what they can do in order to support the fundraiser, when it is, where it's at, how to get involved. Yeah. So super easy. You type in the Overwatch Collective on pretty much anything and you'll find us. Um, obviously we've done episodes with you and they're on YouTube and you can find them there. Um, Spotify, Apple, mm-hmm. iHeartRadio is the podcast. And then you type in the Overwatch Collective.com. You'll find us, Instagram, the Overwatch Collective. Um, if you can become a monthly donor and donate $10 a month, you'd be surprised at what that can do towards funding a first responder to go to therapy, which is a really cool thing to do. Um, and then as far as the fundraiser, September 23rd, this it's coming up um, and it'll be at Pacifica Brewery in Pacifica. Um, get your tickets now. We'll have around 250 people there. They have the live cigar rolling station. We have two amazing guest speakers, Ashley Iverson and Travis Gribble. Ashley Iverson. Um, Wait, Travis is speaking? Yeah, you kind of scared me. You got excited there. Oh, shit. I just met Travis. Like, Travis is coming. I didn't know. Travis Gribble. Yeah, I know. I know who Travis is. Where did you meet is. him? I know. I didn't actually meet him. We Well, we, we connected on Instagram. I met, I was connected to another guy, but I know all about Travis's story. I yeah. had no idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an amazing story on an so, amazing journey. Yeah. So him and his wife, Emily, are flying out. What? Yeah. Oh, I'm going to have to reach out to him. We're going to have to get him in here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's flying. He'll be here for the weekend. That's fantastic. Um, okay, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So no, exciting. you got so excited. No, I'm kind of stoked. Jumped a yeah. little bit. Travis has got a um, crazy yeah, so story. Crazy story. He's uh, season five, episode one. If you want to listen to his story with talks, podcasts, wild. But he's doing great things now with my arena and traveling all over the country to mm. raise awareness for PTSD and mental health amongst the first responder community. And then we have Ashley Iverson, who lost her husband in the St. Thomas fire. He was with Cal Fire um, a few years ago and died fighting the fire. So um, now she started the Iverson Foundation for Active Awareness. Heard the story. Um, actually, yeah. So they're going to be our guest speakers. And then like we talked about before, we have the the raffle, the auction, the special raffle. And then the best part about it is the people, people. that you get to hang out with. So um, all of those proceeds from that go directly towards funding therapy sessions. So, and we, we desperately need it. We need as many people in the app as possible. Um, and that we're posting about the app a lot. So if you go to your app store, whether Android or Apple, and you type in the Overwatch Collective, you download our app and create a profile. Um, and then if you can't go to the fundraiser and you do wish to donate $50 or the, the cost of a ticket, $100, a lot of people do that, which is really cool to see. Um, honestly, anything helps at this point. Yeah, I mean, I think for the things that you guys are doing and all the 
uh, you know, all the, just the things we've talked about now and in the past, like a hundred bucks, it's just, it's, it's a dinner out, man. Yeah, it's some, a, sometimes, sometimes it's I mean, 150 or yeah, 200. It's, that's it's what crazy. I mean. It's yeah. a fucking dinner out. It's not, yeah. it's not that much, but what it can do in terms of helping somebody or even saving somebody's life for that matter. Yeah. And then one little part that I kind of forgot, what some companies are doing now is they'll, um, they'll, they'll donate to us monthly. And then, so with all of your donations, we, we draft up a donor letter. So you get our EIN, you get all right. of our 501c3 info. So it's a tax write-off. So if you're out there listening and you're a company, own a business, whatever, or you know people that match donations, um, we'll provide you with a donor letter. So you get tax deduction. It right. looks professional. I promise. <laughs> um, you'll get everything. And then um, we'll sometimes with, depending on the donations, we'll send you a, a t-shirt and a coin. We just got a $10,000 donation. Um, oh, that's fantastic. Which was huge. They wanted to be anonymous, which is awesome. And uh, so now we're at $33,500 in sponsorships alone for the fundraiser going into oh, it. Man, so that's, that's a great start, man. So it's in terms cool. of blowing the doors off of last year. Yeah. So I think that would have been the thing that Kelsey would have been the most pissed at you for not talking about. Which part? That last part. Like about the, oh, well, if you can't come make a donation. So yeah. I'm going to ask, yeah. I'm going to shout out to Kelsey here. Cause she, yeah, shout out to Kelsey. She's I'm, crushing it. I'm looking, I'm looking out for her and, but more specifically you. Is there anything else you may have forgotten so that Kelsey doesn't get mad at me or you for not saying? No, I think I'm good. Okay. I am good, but right. um, I, I appreciate you having, having us on and it's yeah, cool. I, and I obviously haven't seen you since the last fundraiser and we didn't get too much time to sit down and talk, but uh, no, I, I appreciate you having us having me on to talk about talk. And, um, as you can tell, I've, we've grown a lot and I've become even more passionate about it and really seeing the impact that we're making on our community and saving people's lives. Like it, it's really cool to see. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for having me on here to share, to talk about it, everything. It's always a good time seeing you. My pleasure. I'm proud of you and your team and all the things that are going on out there. Anything that we can do to help down here, you know, we will, uh, I appreciate you. you taking the very little time out of your day that you probably have to, to spend with me and just, and to spread the message. And, uh, from a timing perspective for anybody listening to this, uh, this podcast will be released next week or a week from the, from the time that we're, we're recording it. So it should be very relevant early on. That's those September 23rd, 2023 dates. But look, man, even if you're listening to this after somewhere a year from then or whatever else, talk is still there. The need is still there. The donations, you know, still need to be made. The contributions still need to be made. They're always looking for good people, as you've already noted, as you've already mentioned. And it's very easy to reach out to these guys, whether you're in need of help or you want to help. So, uh, the Overwatch Collective. Thanks, Greg. Appreciate you, brother. Appreciate you. Thank you very much. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Iron Sights. If you enjoyed our conversation, you can support our mission by hitting the subscribe button, leaving a review, and sharing the podcast with a friend. I'll see you on the next episode.